Sourcing for Innovation podcast, episode 14. My name is Adam Curtis, your host. I am joined today by George Maurer, the Director of Development at Surge. And George, you're joining us from New Orleans area, correct? That's right. Has it uh, transitioned into the swamp-like summer down there, or are you enjoying some uh, southern springtime? Oh, Lord, we've had summer for months. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about uh, a brief history, because we could go on for probably books and volumes upon this, but a brief history of the modern web, really from its uh, quote-unquote inception in the late 80s, and we'll get to that in a second, um, through several of its major stages of development. So the start, how it became structured, uh, how we sort of designed it, how we made it usable, and then George will find out from you what are some of your predictions about what the future holds for the development of the web. But to go to the start, explain to me the importance of these two things, the year 1989 and the name Tim Berners-Lee. In the year 1989, you have the internet. The internet exists. And what does that actually mean? Well, we have protocols for connecting different computers so they can talk to each other, which is all well and good. But there is no such a thing as a web browser because there's not such a thing as the web. So if you think about what sort of things that are usable in your day-to-day life that, that you could do then, well, there's not a whole bunch of, bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, we, we can, you could make Slack calls without the web because that doesn't necessarily use a, a web browser. Um, you could have maybe, you could have chat, you could have email, and I don't know, you could play World of Warcraft online or something like that. But the major thing that we use is for doesn't really exist, which is to uh, pass around information. There was no surfing and, involved. Right, exactly. And so basically uh, how this comes, how this idea comes around is you have Tim Berners-Lee, who's a developer uh, working at uh, CERN. So CERN is a giant uh, particle research facility, um, so large it kind of runs uh, underneath part of Switzerland and France, and it's uh, in the Alps. If you're a researcher and you get to go on a furlong year, where are you going to go but somewhere where you can go skiing at a moment's notice and it's really beautiful and gorgeous and so on. So a lot of people are coming there for a bit of time, do a little bit of research, and then they go back to their home institutions and they want to stay in touch. They, they want to keep up with the projects that are going on. Sorry, they want to continue contributing and working there. And uh, there's not really a great way to doing that. I mean, you, you have journal articles and so on, but that's not really up-to-date information. So um, Tim Berners-Lee, initially he just sets out to solve this particular thing. He doesn't, he doesn't want to build this giant platform or anything. But basically his idea is that he's going to create a piece of software that he's going to call a web server and a piece of software that he's going to create uh, called a web browser. And with a web browser, you can put in an address to, a comp- to another computer. Remember, the Internet already exists. And the web browser will connect to it in a certain way, and it'll connect to the web server piece of software in the computer that's a, a, and say, hey, what you got for me? The web server will then return basically an index of all the stuff that's going on on there. It'll say, hey, here are some papers that we're currently working on. Here's where uh, our different uh, employees might be speaking next. Here are links to 
other web servers on other computers uh, for them and maybe on other uh, machines. And by kind of doing that, you get a web that spans the world. And that's a great idea. But now he has to convince everyone else out there in the world for every single other type of computer to um, do that as well. To play along. Come, come, come to my way of thinking here. This is how we're doing it. Well, exactly. And, and he's saying, all right, we need to do that. And so really a lot of the genius of Tim Berners-Lee was not so much the actual technical aspects of it, because, you know, the technical aspects of it aren't crazy complex. We, we've been commun- connecting computers and doing stuff like that. Um, but it really is, and first of all, having this vision, this very solid vision of what you want to do, which, I mean, you work in tech, that doesn't happen all that often. We kind of vaguely have a vision and then it changes and morphs and so on, but someone who has a solid vision from the beginning and can execute, that's, that's rare. And then on actually coming up and executing a really good plan for getting everyone else on board with this. So the communication part of, of it was as important, if not more important, as you're saying, than the actual technical part. If you have these smart people, they're all going to have a different opinion of, oh, you know what, maybe we should do it this way, or my way is the way to do it, or this is the platform, or this is the language in which we should do it. And he's like, no, here's what we're doing, and able to convince enough people that, that becomes the standard for the world. Absolutely. And, and the thing that's key here is, because um, this, this kind of topic ties into the structure of the web, right? Because notice we said what he wants is to create an index. He doesn't want to create a whole ind- application platform. So if, if you're on the index and, you know, you want to link someone to your World of Warcraft game, whatever, I'm probably using very out dated reference <laughs> at this point. Um, but if you want if you want to link someone to your uh, World of Warcraft game, you would uh, you know you would have a link there and someone clicking it would open up in the World of Warcraft thing. If you want to play a video, you wouldn't necessarily play in your browser, it would open up in the different thing. So the key thing is that the web was meant to be an index of everything that you can reach to from that computer. That's kind of interesting because if you've ever wondered why you have index.html as the default page for everything, that's why it was meant to be an index. What Tim Berners-Lee actually does to kind of convince everyone to be doing this, to, to be doing things this way, you know, he doesn't invent his own technology. Really, he takes an existing technology called SGML which is used for creating documents, index is a type of document, and he starts kind of going to their conferences, setting up a booth, talking about, hey, I'm making like this special use case of you, and I'm gonna call it HTML. And by, do, and by doing this over and over, slowly over time, he grows that community and to the point that there's now HTML conferences with a tiny HTML booth. And he starts up a mailing list, and it's really fascinating because you can go back and see all these discussions that people are having as the web develops, and you recognize names, uh, you know, names that you've heard of um, in these discussions because many of these guys go on to become pioneers, work at the government, and so on, um, they invent programming languages. Um, you recognize all these names as you're reading it and kind of seeing their opinions and kind of how they're talking about it, how this stuff gets developed. And you can, you know, you, why is the IMG tag so weird? You can go back and find it and find it. It's because Marcus Andreessen was an undergrad who was put in charge of the Mosaic 2.0 browser, which is a huge success. 
um, much to everyone's surprise. And he was just trying to keep up with all his custom client requests. And he says, hey, I want to make this way of embedding images in our documents. And everyone hates it. Tim Berners-Lee's on there really saying, even saying, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Why is embedding an image different from embedding a video or anything else? It should be all the same thing. Everyone's in agreement. And then Mark, Mark Andreessen comes over, comes back like two weeks later and says, nah, this is what we're doing because I have, uh, I have client, I have people that use my browser and this is what they want. Yeah, I need to get paid. Yeah. Client's always right. Here's what we're doing. Right. Well, he wasn't getting paid then. He was actually uh, working at the uh, the University of Chicago under the um, na- the National Supercomputer Laboratory, which was interesting enough uh, funded. All of that was funded through something called the uh, Gore Bill, which is why this whole thing about Al Gore inventing the internet, which he didn't actually say, but it does have some weight because he was probably the first person in the U.S. Congress to really understand the vision of what computing can be and um, really work to get it funded. So he actually deserves some credit for it, not the derision that gets thrown his way all the time. Actually, it does. Yeah. If you look, and this is something I found, if you look through the old, old, old documentation of the Mosaic browser, like the, the first graphical browser ever, some of the examples they're using for images are of his face. <laughs> yeah. It made the internet beautiful from the from the get-go. <laughs> right. And that's the that's kind of that next step. So now you've got this format. Um and I could get into that whole development a lot more, but there you got this format where people are putting out um you can create documents online. Well, what's the first thing that happens? People say, well, I want it to look pretty. I want to be able to make it blue here, black there, red there. I want to be able to make these two things align side by side. But the problem is, I mean, you're talking about early 90s. You still have computers that print out on paper, right? You still have computers that are green screen with like 40 columns. So what does it mean for saying text should be uh, you know, red on a green background when you, you're just got it's a black a and white screen. screen. Yeah. How can you align things side by side if you can't align anything because you're printing the paper? Now, is this a case of those who I guess was you would call early adopters wanting these things and pushing the software then ahead of the hardware? I would say that this was more an issue of too many cooks, right? Got it. People pulling in too many directions, right? The web was founded as this way of sharing links to other documents. So the idea was like, you want a fancy document? That's fine. Link to a document that will open up in latex, right? And if you're a scientist, that's great. You have latex installed already. You can do that. But if you're, but at this point, you've got regular people and a couple of businesses even starting and using it. They might not have all this stuff already installed. And they're like, it's just a document I wanted to open to my browser. Well, you can put some documents into HTML and do it. But then the natural next request is I want it to look pretty. Right. 
and 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 that's what um, people resisted. I mean, the the people making the web resisted it for a long time because they're saying this is that's not what it's for. But the thing is, now they have to create some way of styling these things, and there's a couple missteps at first, right? Um, some was around in the '90s. Remember the blink tag, marquee tag, center tags, really weird ways of doing it that weren't very portable and would break lots of things. Well, um, and and there's actually a lot of proposals. A lot of them are really cool in retrospect like i'm like there's there's one to do with uh an sgml variant called dsssl um uh, um which i've been pronouncing diesel but i'm not sure that that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um but and, and it's really cool it's a form of scheme and it would allow us to do all sorts of things that we can't do now but it was kind of judged too complex and there was a simpler form variant called cascading style sheets that was produced again if you're around in the 90s you remember there was this really big focus on user style sheets that you would be able to say i want all the text and all my web pages to be blue and that would override whatever the website says so with with css they had this idea well well you you make a rule that says i want for my web pages text to be blue and i want that to have a 0.7 importance well if the user said i want all text everywhere to be to be red then you would get what you would get is this bluish purple text because of the <laughs> point 0.7 would say more of yours than yours squishing together you cascade, yeah when you say cascading style sheets that's what the cascading historically actually referred to now that's a feature that nobody implemented but it was a cool feature and we got everyone talking and it demoed really well which is why, which is one of the reasons there there are others that CSS ended up taking over and becoming the way we style the web, and and it, and it's weird, right? Because it was put in only grudgingly, and it wasn't really designed by by people who really understood the needs of the medium, it's, and it was actually adopted for a completely other reason than what in, in, for a feature that isn't even in that language now. And and that's a lot of uh, the things that I like to point out to people. Why is HTML so weird? Well, because it was meant to be an index. Why is styling so weird? Well, because CSS wasn't meant to be what it is now. It it, it was just kind of hobbled together. It's the it's the example of you're first in, so after a while, people are just used to it and will adapt it for our current needs because it's just going to be too hard to start over again. Right. Well, right. Exactly. We can't start over. We tried many times. It just hasn't worked. The one remaining part that we have to the web is, okay, well, you, you go in and you go to orbits and you want to pop up a calendar when you say a calendar selector. Well, the web, though, the way the web is designed, it's all about going to the server and fetching a document. Go and fetch a document, presumably an index. There's no, there's no um, ability built in that says, well, when I click this, go ahead and rearrange HTML and CSS to show me a calendar. That doesn't exist. But that, that need is apparently there because you don't want to wait for, you to, to, for it to go do a whole round trip, fetch the page you're already on, but with a calendar. Right. Very quickly, people went from, okay, text on the screen is great, to what the hell can this thing do for me? Come on, let's, let's right. go. <laughs> I'm getting impatient. Exactly. And so, so Netscape Navigator, would, uh, they're kind of on top of it. They're, they're, they're actually eyeing with eye over their shoulder because they know Microsoft's going to wake up to the web at any minute. And, actually, and, and so they're trying to get ahead on features. And, one of the, and so this is one of the ones that they choose to tackle. So they hire this guy named Brendan Ike, 
and they tell him, you know what, we need a programming language for the web. So they basically take him and go, okay, go into a room, uh, write us a programming language for us using the browser. Oh, by the way, we want to launch this in the next version. You've got 10 days. Great. So he Thanks, guys. Um, I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Right. He shrugs, goes off, and in 10 days writes this thing. He breaks on Scheme and South, and then he comes out, and they say, this is great, but we've got this deal that we're working with Sun Microsystems right now. And Sun Microsystems owns a programming language called Java, which is brand new, and it's hot. It's so hot. It's the hottest thing in tech right now. So can you take this programming language that you wrote and make it look enough like Java so that we could you know, do the whole marketing thing and sell it as JavaScript, a lightweight thing to help people bridge over to Java. So he shrugs and goes and like kind of pounds it with hammers until it kind of looks like this other thing that was never designed for. So it's true that the programming language JavaScript has very little to do with Java. It just kind of has a, you know, a, a, a skin on top of it. Sure. And that, and, and that's kind of, uh, what, where the functionality and the, why JavaScript is so weird, right? Because it was a language that wasn't even designed for the syntax that it actually ended up with. And then it was launched, and, and actually for a long time, no one did anything with it. Until relatively recently, it was 10 years until um, you know, the concept of Ajax became really prevalent. Where, uh, where you could actually fetch stuff in the background and, sh- and, and really work with stuff like an actual application. And that kind of forms the backbone of the web, right? We've got HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and all three of them are weird for very specific historical reasons. Yeah, that's the word, that's the word you keep using. So if we've gotten to this point now with all of this weirdness, where do we go from here? Is there ever a... Uh, reckoning, I guess might be the word, in which we go in and all of these things are somehow evolves to a point where they become more in line with the functionality that we need them to be? Are they going to continue evolving in this weird pattern? And at some point, it's just going to become such um, d- dead weight that we're going to have to scrap them entirely and start over? Like, what is the process here going forward? I think people have been trying to replace this in various ways for a while. I mean, we had Flash, we had Silverlight, we had Java in the browser, and all of them kind of shown that they couldn't quite hang. So I, I think that there are some possible ways forward. I'll actually start with the one that's kind of most certain now. Um, and I've been predicting it for a while, but it's, it's all but sure now is that we, we're, we are going to finally see a way to replace writing code in JavaScript. Um, with WebAssembly coming out, we now have this format that everyone agrees on that works well and that basically you can write code in any language and have it compiled down to good, well-functioning, not even JavaScript, but JavaScript-compatible bytecode. I think that that will definitely happen. I think you're going to see big companies writing large chunks of their website in uh, a language that's not JavaScript and running within another year or so. We'll, we'll, we'll see that launching. I think we're already starting to see the beginning of it. Um, and, and I think that that's a really big one. I, um, like I said, JavaScript's a really strange language. Um, and and it, it, it did its role well, but I mean, at this point, what we're do, using it for is nowhere near what it was designed. Um, the next point is, I, I think I like to talk about is CSS. 
I think CSS has really big problems. The biggest one is that it's really, really hard to make components that are straightforward to read and understand. So, for example, um, I helped someone to create a component with just CSS the other day, which would have a certain uh, a certain UI when the screen is large, but then once collapsed, everything's different, and there and it really is like in a carousel where instead of five images side by side, it's showing one at a time, and you can kind of click on a on an input and control it, and that's only with CSS. It, it, and it works, but it doesn't. It looks really messy, and there's no way to compose it well. And I think we're going to need something like that, especially as as the age of um, AR and VR starts coming around, because the, the language just isn't really super great for for creating complex things like that. Yeah, I can imagine the difficulties now going from uh, you know a laptop to mobile, and now you're going to 360. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we are seeing some of that just starting, like toe in the water when we see things like styled components and React.js. I think that's part of, you know, that's nowhere near what it's going to look like at the end. But I, what I would like to see it in the end is something that ends up looking like um, like perhaps some of those initial proposals, like DSSSL or um, Pay One Way from Viola Browser had another really nice one. And so I think we will start seeing these like styling languages that work on a broader scale and allow you to um, encapsulate styles much better than what we have now. And then the, the third piece that I have that's probably the most uh, the most objectionable to people. HTML is fine. It, it, it's, it's good. I, I don't actually have a big problem with it except that it's complex. And a lot of that has come from this process where it was just a bunch of browser uh, vendors um, to no small degree, Mark Andreessen himself, who were just saying, yeah, 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 I get what the academic thing to do is, but we're just going to do this. So it, it's it's a mess because it started out as this nice little sub-syntax of SGML, and we had all these great tools for working with SGML. And now none of those tools work with HTML anymore because they've made so many exceptions over the years. In fact, they've at this point, the best way to describe HTML is what the Wattweg does, which is they just document what people actually do with it. They don't really make an attempt to create a strict uh, XML-style syntax for it. Which we all understand why. I, mean, I, I was programming in, in 15 years ago. I remember XHTML was a pain in the ass to program. But the idea was good because the idea meant that it was very simple to write tools that could work with XHTML. It's pretty difficult to write tools that work with raw HTML. You have to rely on all sorts of other tools, and there aren't that many of them. So I think that there might be room for sort of a back to an XHTML movement where uh, maybe it wouldn't be every, it, I don't think it would replace all HTML everywhere, but maybe for very specific use cases, specific domains. Um, you know, we, we already kind of have that ability because no one's really programming HTML anymore. We're writing virtual DOM applications that actually spit out the HTML for us. If they spit out HTML, they could just as well spit out nicely formatted AXA HTML 
and you could have domain specific browsers like so a browser that's specific for the medical domain or something like that and if that website sees that you're interacting from that sort of browser maybe it spits out a format that's easier for that to comprehend and it's simple and you can write custom tools for it so i i would be very interesting to see if something like that might happen um, at some point in the future this is fascinating. We could go on for this forever, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. uh, there are books on this, but, you know, George, thank you for trying to make sense out of all of this weirdness. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and if you are interested in this, I mean, again, there are books on it, but uh, there is a podcast that I pretty much rec- uh, highly recommend. Um, it's called the Internet History Podcast, where uh, he just basically goes through and in- interviews various uh, pioneers of the Internet from, like, the 80s up to the modern day and there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of, uh, of of him doing these interviews i think it was initially research for a book that he was writing and just decided to turn it into a podcast really really interesting stuff george mauer director of development at surge thank you so much for talking with us today thank you